You're listening to the Vineyard Community Church Podcast. For more information, visit vccmountcomfort.org. Good morning, church. It's good to see you all this morning. Very excited to be here with you and uh, just very excited for the opportunity to share as well. Um, you know, it's nothing more, there's nothing more encouraging than when you're up ready to preach and you, all the songs line up and they, they hit the mark and, and the, the opening scripture, Linda, hits the mark and just, just lines up exactly what you're going to share. And, and, and even over the past few weeks, I think the Lord has really been lining up uh, this, this message and, and confirming it in many ways to my heart. And so it gives me a great deal of confidence and, and just, uh, uh, just an awesome uh, opportunity here to share with you this morning. So obviously on the screen you can see we're going to be talking about orphans, slaves, and sons. How many of you have ever heard any message about orphans, slaves, and sons in your lifetime as, as believers? And I want to talk about this today because it's very foundational to our faith and what we believe. What we believe about these topics really affect what, how we view relationships with each other, with our husbands and wives, with uh, uh, believers, other believers, as well as, more importantly, our relationship with God. I mean, you know, that's a very important relationship to have. Say amen. It's a pretty important one. And so it also determines how we view ourselves. I mean, you know, that's pretty important, how you view yourselves. Really, uh, psychology today has even come out and said how we view ourselves will, will also affect how we uh, relate in society, how we do our, how we do our relationships with friends and, fr- and families. And the scripture that I wanted to share, uh, Linda, what version was that that you read this morning? It was the Passion Translation. So listen, this is, this is the same scripture in Romans chapter 8, verse 14. It says, For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him, that we may also be glorified together. Can you say amen to that scripture? Let's just open in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your Holy Spirit that is here today. Lord, we, each of us, open up our hearts to receive from the the Spirit of God, to bear witness with our spirits that we truly are sons of God, that we have an heir, that we have an inheritance that we can partake of today. Lord, help us to really dig deep today and understand where our identity comes from in you and how the enemy tries to divide us and keep us from that purpose and powerful understanding in our lives. In Jesus' name, everybody said, amen. So today we're going to talk about the word identity. Identity is something that we, we assume happens automatically in our lives. Identity is made up of three perspectives. Are you ready for this? Identity is made up of three perspectives, one of which is Identity is how we view ourselves. Put your hand on your, your heart and say, identity is how I view myself. I, I don't know about you, but sometimes 
I think a lot of times people in general don't have a very good view of themselves. Uh, you know, some, some people are really prideful, but, you know, and some people don't, don't think of it this way. But I think if, we've been, or if we're to be honest with ourselves, there are times in our lives where we don't have a very good view of ourselves. And it, in fact, in counseling or any type of situations, usually it's because your viewpoint of yourself is not what God says about you. And so we spend years, how many of you spent years, trying to get God's view of you instead of your own view of you? I have, personally. The other thing it is, the second thing is that identity comes from is how we think God views us. Notice is how we think God views us. There's a difference between how we think God views us and how God actually views us. And the third, third thing that makes up identity is how we think others view us. Did you know that it's important what others think of us? I mean, we, we, sometimes we put way too much power in that, but it is important how we have others view us in our lives. This concept affects everything we do. It's the core of what affects us in our life, in our relationships, not only with others, but with God. This is what determines how we pray. Follow me for a second. How many of you said a prayer and you've asked God to bless you in some area of your life? Every hand should be, probably be up. We've all asked for God. And you know, even if it's in that crisis moment, God, if you'll get me out of this, I'll do anything for you. You know, how many of you said those kind of prayers? I have. And it, this identity, where we're drawing from our identity, expects whether we are expecting God to even answer that prayer or not. Sometimes people think, oh, God's too busy for me. He's just got too much going on in the universe to take care of my little old problem. But identity, when we get connected with the identity of us being sons, we see that God's power is in us and he has given us everything that we deserve. It also determines how we, how we view faith, how we believe for things. How many of you ever believe for a miracle? How many of you ever believe for something, uh, a new job? Uh, finances to come through. Yeah, I've had a few moments where the I was like, okay, God, the finances have got to come through, you know. Everybody say amen. And so what we have here is we have this, we have this topic of an identity crisis happening in our world today. It's an identity crisis. It's the world is trying to come in and sweep out and the enemy is trying to come in to get to steal our I, true identity from us. Or, if he, can't get us to, if he can't steal it from us, he'll, he'll try to get you to exchange it for something else. I don't know about you, but I've exchanged my true identity a few times when I've made some bad choices in life and I've paid the consequences for it. And he, and he tries to sell us on this because he wants us to get us to sidetrack God's purposes in our life. See, our true identity comes from the Father. Our true identity comes from our relationship with God. And we're going to talk about a few areas of identity today that relate to this. There are three topics or three types of identities that I want to touch on this morning. And we're going to look at this through the scripture in Luke chapter 15 about the prodigal son or the lost son. If you have your Bibles with you or you can follow along on the screen, we're going to start reading in Luke chapter 15 verse 11. Then he said, Jesus speaking here, a certain man had two sons. Everybody say two sons. 
And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portions of goods that fall to me. So he, the father, divided to them his livelihood. And not many days after, the younger son gathered all together, journeyed to a far country, and there wasted his possessions with prodigal living. Let's stay there on that scripture for just a minute. I want to focus on this word prodigal living. It's not a word that we use very often. You don't go up to your friend and say, hey, are you living prodigally today? You know, how prodigal are you? It's not a, it's not a very common word in our, our language. But we know this story. Everybody knows this story about the lost son or the prodigal son. And so I want to look at this word prodigal and what does it mean? Well, the definition really doesn't help it much because I'll go ahead and share it. But it means dissolutely. Anybody know what that means? Good, because I didn't. I had to look this up. Dissolutely means lacking moral restraint. Hmm, that's an interesting definition. Indulging in sensual pleasures or vices. Hmm. To be extreme and dissolutely or extremely prodigal means to be indulging in sensual pleasures or vices, promiscuous sex and drink. That's the extreme of it. But I want you to think about this first part, lacking moral restraint. Now, I know we're in church, and I know those that are home probably can raise their hands because they're by themselves, you know, in their living room maybe. But if you've ever lacked moral restraint, will you raise your hand? Okay. Somewhere we all have lacked moral restraint. And so in that particular area of your life, guess what? You were living prodigally. Now, maybe you weren't running from the father completely away, but you were living in a prodigal state in that area of your life. And it's in these areas that I want to talk about today, this prodigal area of our life where we seem to not practice restraint sometimes. Okay, next scripture. Let's continue on. Verse 14. It says, But when he had spent all, there arose a severe famine in that land, and he began to begin, be in want. Then he went and joined himself to a city of that country, and he sent, and he sent him into the fields and, to feed swine. And when... He would have gladly filled his stomach with the pods of the swine that the swine ate, and no one gave him anything. Verse 17. But when he came to himself, thank God for coming to yourself moments. He said, how many of my father's servants, he had a eureka moment. He said, how many of my father's servants have a better place than I am living right now? My father's servants have bread enough to spare and, and I perish with hunger, I will arise and go to my father and say to him, how many of you have ever done this? When you've done something wrong, you know, usually it's when we're teenagers and we've done something wrong and we know we're going to go home and we're going to meet our father or our mother and we've got to have a good story to tell, right? We need to have a good story to tell. Well, this is what happens. He says, father, I've sinned against you in heaven. That sounds right. Yes. And I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants, he says. And he arose and came to his father, but when he was still a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion and ran on his, to his neck and kissed him. I've heard many people teach this story before, but I've heard this, and I think this is such a true story because this is such a marvelous picture of the extravagant grace 
that the Father has for us, isn't it? Here's this, this son who squandered everything that he was given. And I've heard teachers teach this, and I, I, I picture this when I see this. The, father, the son is coming down the road. The father is running out to him, and he doesn't even let his son's knee hit the ground before he grabs him. Isn't that God's grace? Isn't that his mercy? Isn't that the extravagant love of the father? Verse 21. And the son goes into his story here. He says, Father, I have sinned against you in heaven and in your sight, and I am no longer worthy to be called your son. And the father said to his servants, notice he didn't even answer what he said. He just goes on. He says, bring out the best robes and put it on him and put on a ring on his hand and sandals on his feet and bring the fatted calf here and kill it and let us eat and be merry. Translation, there's about to be a big party. For this is my son who was dead and alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to be married that very moment. Man, some of us need to hear this this day. We need to hear this because we are living in a time whenever we are seeing a lot of people who feel like this son. Because he was living life as an orphan. I know sometimes when we hear Bible stories, we think like this. I, I don't, maybe, maybe it's just me, so I, I hold my hand up, but I'll say this. Sometimes I think, I would have never done that. I would have never done that like that son. Come on, he had everything. You know, the bills were paid. Everything was going just the way he wanted it. And yet he chose to leave this place of provision, this place of safety. I would never leave my father. It was the most disgraceful thing you could ever do. I mean, a son asking for his inheritance before his father was dead, that was unheard of. And so in verse 17, it says, he came to him senses. And he goes to the father, he says, I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. And guess what? That's a true statement. In and of ourselves, we are no longer worthy to be called his sons. Because we're born into this life of sin. But the good news is this. Jesus, because of what Jesus has done, he has given us rights to become heirs and citizens of heaven. No longer, by, not by my works, not by what I've done, but by what he's done. It's an extravagant story of grace. Orphan identity. I want to talk to you a little bit about orphans today. This is the first, first group. It means orphans means fatherless, fatherlessness ones. The prodigal son willingly became an orphan. He had a father, but he willingly chose to leave. He left the father it was by his own choice that he was orphaned. There's a whole world full of orphans today, isn't there? You look around in society, look around in, in churches, look around in, in your lives. There's a people who are crying out for a father. I know even in church today, there's people here that are crying out for fathers. And I've seen fatherless ones of all ages, teens a lot older generations a lot 
And, it's be, and you can see it in their, our lives because it's a deep inner lacking of a father figure in their life. Paul says it this way in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 15. He says, For though you might have 10,000 instructors in Christ, yet you do not have many fathers. For in Christ Jesus I have begotten you through the gospel. What is this scripture saying? Paul is simply saying this. Because I've introduced you to Jesus, now you have rights to become a son. You're not an orphan anymore. Hallelujah. You don't have to feel like you don't have a father anymore. And just because we had a dad doesn't mean we had a father. And I'm not being hard on dads here today, by the way, because I'm a, I'm a dad. And I always look back and I say, I wish I could have done better. I wish I would have done something different. How many, of you, how many of you guys can say that? Amen. I mean, I wish I would have done a little bit better. And I'm not talking about those people who try. I'm talking about those who willingly forsake their positions as fathers. And so what happens in this situation? If we don't have a father that we can relate to, we're continually looking for a father. We're continually looking for somebody to meet this need that's in our, inside of us. And then we say things like this. I mean, if the father, if my earthly father would treat me this way, if my earthly father would do this to me or, or this person would do this to me, then how can a heavenly father love me? How can a heavenly father love me? I must be an orphan. And then we, it says he came to him senses and he willingly chose to be an orphan. But he said this, he goes, if I can at least be a slave. See, he's stepping up a little bit now. He says, I don't have a father, but if I can at least be a slave, at least I can be in the house of my father. John chapter 14, verse 18 says it like this. Jesus says this, he goes, I will not leave you orphans. I will come to you. Jesus comes to you. And if I can just be real with you today, because media loves this whole topic of orphans. The, the society that we live in loves the topic of orphans because they are trying to project their father figures on us. I want to look at a couple of, a few statistics here this morning. 85% of youths in prison come from fatherless homes. 71% of high school dropouts come from fatherless homes. 90% of all homeless and runaway children come from what? Fatherless homes. These are pretty staggering statistics, aren't they? Nearly 25 million children live without their biological father. No condemnation. I, I'm not putting condemnation on anyone. It's just a reality that we have to live with. 60% of youth suicides come from fatherless homes. Listen, fathers have a very important place. Not only do we as natural fathers, but our heavenly father. Let me touch on some facts about the orphan identity. First of all, orphans, if you're here today and you're an orphan and you feel like you've connected with this, this topic today, you don't believe that you fit in. You don't fit in. Orphans that are here today are always looking for some man or some dad that would just give them some love. 
even desiring to look for approval in other men. Orphans are always striving to fit in. Number two thing, orphans don't commit. They don't commit because they don't want to fear, they, they fear rejection. They fear failure. They fear abandonment. And so they don't commit. And so in a feeble attempt to protect themselves, they hurt and abandon. They don't commit to the very thing that can give them security in their lives and love in their lives. Orphans will never get close to a pastor or people in authority because they don't want to be abandoned or let down. Because if my dad did this to me or my father did this to me, guess what? He will do the same. I know it's real, isn't it? Sorry. Not trying to be Debbie Downer today, but I want to say some facts today. Number three thing is they have pain inside. Orphans have pain inside. How many of you ever heard of this group? Uh, when we worked with teens, we would always hear this, but it was called the emo group, emotionally, emotional teens. You know, one thing that they do, and I have heard this, but they, uh, they will actually cut themselves. Why do they do that? Because there's pain on the inside that they're trying to masquerade with this pain that's on the physical. Now, I submit to you today that orphans would maybe not do that, but they will do something else that's a little bit different. They will make choices that will bring catastrophic results on themselves in life. That's what the prodigal son did, didn't he? He chose to leave home. He chose a path that was not going to bring forth any joy in his life. In fact, he was, came to himself whenever he was gladly would have fed off of the, the, the food that he was given the pigs, right? And then he came to himself and he says, man, if I could just be a, a slave, I could, if I could just be a servant in the, my father's house. And that brings us to the next identity that we want to talk about. A slave. Now, the Bible talks a lot about slaves, and it's okay to be a slave for Christ, a bondservant for Christ. In fact, in the Old Testament, if you were a slave and you loved your master, you would take your ear and you would nail it to the doorpost so you could stay. That's how much you loved your master. There's nothing wrong with loving and, and being a slave to Christ, a slave for Christ. But the slaves and servants that I want to talk about here is really exemplified in the other sons of this story. This is one of the largest groups in the, day, in the church today. Slaves are the most committed group because they believe that their position in the family depends on their performance. Everybody say, ouch. Oh, come on, we just got to relax here. Ouch, that hurts a little bit, doesn't it? Because I thought if I was serving God and I was doing all these things, then everything would be perfect and, and it was all, how, how can this be? Slaves have to work to obtain favor and position to feel accepted. Ouch. Pinch yourself if that's you. To be honest, I can relate to all of these, so I'm just being honest with you. I feel like I fit into all of these at some point in my life. This is the slave identity. This, this is the mentality of the older son. And I want to dig into this scripture in Luke chapter 15, and we're going to see how the older son responds. Verse 11. It says, now his older son was in the field. And as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing 
and partying going on. And probably smelled some good food cooking. So he called to one of the servants and he asked him, how, what are these things meant? And, and he said to him, your brother has come and because he has received him safe and sound, your father has killed the fatted calf, but he was angry and would not go in. Hmm. Therefore, the father came out and pleaded with him. So he answered and said to his father, Lo, these many, listen to this attitude that he gets. Lo, these many years. I have been serving you, God. Lo, these many years. I never transgressed your commandment at any time. And yet you never gave me a young goat that I may make merry with my friends. Come on, there's an attitude here that we have to deal with. But as soon as this son of yours, listen, he even was willing to detach his blood relationship with his brother. As soon as this son of yours, not my brother, this son of yours came who was devoured, who has devoured your livelihood with harlots, you killed the fatted calf for him. And the father says, and he said to him, Son, you were always with me, and all that I have is yours. It was right that I should make merry and be glad, for your brother was dead and is alive again, and was lost and is found. Amen. He was saying, man, I've never done anything wrong. How many of you ever felt like that? Say, I've never, I, I haven't sinned, you know, I haven't stepped out of the bounds. I've stayed in my lone lane. I've done all I know I need to do. I've served faithfully for lo these many years. Come on now. It's not fair. It's not fair, God. Look at all I've done for you. Look at how I've served Look at how I've given up things. And so this is the slave's identity. It's all connected into this. What they are doing, how they are performing, and who they know. There's a scripture I've read, and it kind of scares me sometimes, to be honest. But I want to read it in Matthew chapter 7, verse 22, 23. It says, many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, and done many wondrous works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, who, you who practice lawlessness. It's kind of a scary scripture, but it brings the point home that we can be doing a lot for God, but be disconnected from him. The slave was in the father's house, but was disconnected from him. He was serving, saw the Father every day, but was disconnected from him. Just doing something won't get us anything. Isn't that true? Just working for God doesn't get us anything. If you never do anything for God again from this moment forward in ministry or in servanthood, guess what? God still loves you. He's not expecting you to do anything else. He still loves you. The Father loves you. What about you as a parent? Have you ever thought about this? Have you, would you ever disown your son or daughter? No way. Would they, have they ever made mistakes that made you mad? 
Brianna's in the, I can't, can't talk because Brianna's in the audience. Yes. Have they ever squandered inheritance? Yes. But do you still love them? Absolutely. You would never give up on them. Listen, mistakes do not define us. Your mistakes, our mistakes don't define you. Our failures don't define us. Isn't that great? I love it when the scripture says that he wipes away our past as far as the east is from the west. He doesn't remember it anymore. We do. We deal with it. We go to counseling for it. We try to get over it. But guess what? If we would just connect with the the father, he says, I don't even remember it anymore. I don't even know what you're talking about. And so our identity has to be begotten in us as a son. Talk about sons for a minute, son's identity. We're not called to be orphans or slaves, but we are called to be what? Sons. And that means you ladies as well. This is not gender specific. This is talking about the totality. Sons. I'm a bride of Christ, so we're even now. The first thing we see about sons is that there's some interesting facts in this, this whole story is this. Both of them were actually sons. They forgot it. One left, became an orphan. The other one was in the house serving as a slave, didn't see it. But they were both sons. They both had rightful place to be there. But they didn't see it as that. Verse 11 says a certain man had what? Two sons. They weren't behaving like sons. In fact, I think if we could actually, if I, if I could put my, Matt's definition on this story, it would be this. The lost sons. The prodigal sons. Because they both had problems. They both were missing that which was right in front of them. Notice this. Second thing that's very interesting is the father comes to them both, comes out to them both. Verse 20, it says he ran to the father. He, the father ran to his son, I'm sorry. He ran out to, to meet him and, and fell on him and kissed him. Verse 28, the older son, it says the, the, he, when he was angry, the father came out to him. How many of you ever had the Father come out to you? Sons have an inheritance is the third point. Galatians chapter 4 verse 6 and 7 says it this way. It says, and because you are sons, God has sent forth his spirit of his son into your hearts, crying out, Abba, Father. Therefore, you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir of God through Christ Jesus. Amen. There are three things, and maybe I'll give this to you as some homework assignment, but you can take this away. There are three gifts that the son, the father gives the son. The robe, the ring, 
and the sandals. I'd like to hear some stories about what God's showing you on that one. The robe is obviously a robe of righteousness. It's his covering for us. The ring represented the authority and ability to purchase on behalf of the family. Now, I don't know about you, but this is crazy to give somebody who squandered your money a ring to purchase on your behalf again. The sandals meant what? Protection for your feet, the walk, your walk, where you're going. I'd be interested to hear some stories about that, what God's saying to you. Getting close to the end here. We are highly favored of the Lord. Just say that to yourself. Say, I am highly favored of the Lord. And we are here today because we are to call God Abba, Father. You know what that means? Our dad, our heavenly father, our, our, our protector, our provider, the one who nourishes my soul. And I love this because he takes someone who is a nobody and makes them a somebody. God transforms us. Paul... Well, the apostle, the, uh, Saul was on the road to Tarsus and he met Jesus face to face. And guess what? He was ima- ima- magically changed that moment, transformed. He became Paul. And that's what happens with our lives is when we meet Jesus for the first time, he changes us. He sets us on a different course. It's his deep desire that he has for us to become his children. I'm going to close with this reading of this Romans chapter 8 in the message version, which I think is, a, is just a very powerful, powerful version to hear, a translation. Romans chapter 8 says, So don't you see that when you don't owe, we don't owe this old do-it-yourself life one red cent. There's nothing in it for us, nothing at all. The best, thing we, the best thing to do is to give it a decent burial and go on with your new life. God's spirit beckons. There are things to do and places to go. This resurrection life you receive from God is not timid, grave ten, a, a timid, grave-tending life. It's adventurously expectant. Greeting God with a childlike, what's next, Papa? Hmm. God's spirit touches our spirits and confirms who we really are. Can I say that again? God's spirit touches our spirit and it defines who we really are. We know who he is and we know who we are father and children and we know that we are going to get what's coming to us an unbelievable inheritance we go through exactly what Christ goes through if we go through hard times with him then certainly we will go through good times with him as well amen thanks for listening to this week's podcast to receive more audio content from the vineyard Click the subscribe button in iTunes.